two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week's review, Time Pimp by Garrett Cook. Let me say early on that this is, uh, you know, not, not that we're ever safe for work or for youngsters to listen to because we don't really have much of a filter, but uh, the subject matter in this week's episode uh, might not be for, uh, you know, people who are, uh, you know, younger folks or uh, people with, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Rob? Like a sense of uh People decency. who are, yeah, like the faint of heart or, yeah, like uh, have strong moral fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, who read like a bitch, <laughs> like a bitch. So, but uh, now that we've got that out of the way, um, Garrett Cook's work has appeared in Exquisite Corpse, Poluto, and the very cool speculative poetry antho, Anomalous Appetites, the magazine of Bizarro Fiction, Houdini Gut Punch, and the Bizarro Starter Kit Purple, Murderland Part One H Eight, its sequel Murderland Two. Life During Wartime, the enigmatic Archelon Ranch? Is that Archelon? Archelon Ranch? Sure. Uh, Are all available on Amazon, and his fourth book, Jimmy Plush, Teddy Bear Detective from Eraserhead Press, is now available as well as Time Pimp. The Time Pimp. Now, I will say that um, that bio was about 10% of the full bio from Amazon, (laughs) and I I essentially, like, so I'm reading through, I read through the entire bio, and I'm, you know, halfway through the first paragraph, and I'm like, this is getting gutted. Um, so really, that's like the last four, four lines or so of the entire uh, bio. Apologies to Garrett. We just try to keep it. I mean, you know, we don't take the word bio literally. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a common, we, we all know how I feel about author bio, so... We do. Um, I believe there's an article floating around the internet somewhere called Your Author Bio Probably Sucks. Yeah. So I'm not saying that's the case for you, Garrett. <laughs> but I do take a very harsh look at lengthy bios. So anyway, um, we are going to be talking about the book Time Pimp tonight. Here's the synopsis we pulled from Amazon. The Time Pimp has been saving the galaxy by getting history's most important figures laid. From Caligula to Teddy Roosevelt, the Time Pimp has rolled up to the scene in his interstellar purple Cadillac and got them some ass. But a new power threatens the future of the Time Pimp, the Morality Front, a prudish force hell-bent on imposing its values on the galaxy. With the aid of the Death Pimp, they will stop at nothing to end free love across time and space. But the Time Pimp ain't taking no shit from these jive-ass turkeys. This uh, this book appears to be um, kind of a, a little bit of a spoof on Doctor Who. Now, Rob, do you know any Doctor Who fans? Um, I know. I actually know a ton of Doctor Who fans. Now that you're asking me that, but um, well, I don't know the first thing about Doctor Who. Well, that's what you've got me for because I happen to love Doctor Who. Yeah, so we're going to have kind of two different perspectives on this, maybe, because I didn't pick up anything Doctor Who. I didn't even think about Doctor Who the whole time I was reading this. Well, for for those of you who don't know, Doctor Who travels around uh, through time and space, um, kind of, in many cases, kind of fixing history gone wrong, um, as well as, you know, saving planets from destruction. And he does have quite a thing for Earth, as does the Time Pimp. Um, as he spends a lot of his time, like all the historical figures, obviously, in order for us to understand them, are, are from from you know the planet Earth. So, you know, Gandhi, Edgar Allan Poe, um, Dante, uh, Sylvia Plath, 
uh, Teddy Roosevelt, who is mentioned in the in the <laughs> synopsis. You know, they're they're all from Earth, but yeah. So he travels around in a, in a spaceship um, called the TARDIS uh, that has been replaced by a Cadillac. Um, he has a companion who travels with him, uh, numerous companions throughout the series, as does the Time Pimp. Only he travels with hoes. There you go. Um, all right, so how do we want to approach actually explaining what happens in the book? I have no idea. <laughs> Before we get on talking about the book, I actually just Googled the term ho, and uh, ho, which has a, a recorded pronunciation that you can play, is a, is a, a prostitute. I thought it would be. I thought it would be more of a description. It just says prostitute. <laughs> That's prostitute. Yeah. All right. Well, we all know what a pimp is, right? Um. I don't. Do we need to define pimp? Oh uh, yeah. I guess. All right. Let's define pimp. Well, let's see what comes up. A man up who a... controls prostitutes and arranges clients for them, taking part of their earnings in return. That sounds about right. Yeah. That makes it sound not that bad. They don't get into like the pimp slaps you know and stuff like that there's a lot of violence that goes along with being a pimp i think you think not not from personal experience or anything right <laughs> no not no i don't know what you're talking about um but i guess that like and and this is kind of part of why there's a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode because the protagonist the person that we're supposed to you know identify with essentially is a guy who whores women out and, and you know beats them if they don't you know perform i guess but it's all like you know what i'm saying but it's Mm -hmm. all it's it's satire it's a spoof it's not supposed to we're not it's not actually glorifying the life of being a pimp it's just kind of uh it's it's in in humor so when we joke about and laugh about like the quotes and stuff that you're going to hear later on it's understanding i hope you understand that it's all satirical this isn't a book that glorifies the actual reality of of pimps and prostitutes i would just like to say that that rob is laughing out of satire oh you are you're actually enjoying (laughs) yes yes i took this book very very literally like a bitch like a bitch (laughs) all right right, so uh, Plot-wise, uh, we're probably going to be a little all over the place because there are um, probably three main kind of like stories that, that we go through through the course of this book. Um, but really what we're going to talk about is the, the time pimp, his mission, and, and kind of his, I don't know, history, background, kind of getting an idea of, of, of what this cat is all about. So his name is, is Time Pimp. Um, we do see scenes from uh, historical scenes where he's with his father and his uncle, um, and, and that's his name. It's, it's Time Pimp. Yeah, he has a his, he, hmm? yeah, that's his given name. Yep, he has a brother who is the death pimp. How did we not see this going horribly wrong? Like you know, like a, when you're naming the kids. Um, we have uh, just a few other characters that are important. I mean, we'll probably talk about a lot of the kind of historical figures, but there is his, uh, I guess, his top bitch. That's what you yeah. call her. Her name is Celia. Sister Cecilia. Cecilia. Sister Cecilia. And she is a leather-clad nun who is also kind of like a dominatrix. A lot Um, like a dominatrix, yeah. A lot like a dominatrix. (laughs) And uh, just because he's on the cover, I guess we have to mention Professor Panda. Dude, did you know pandas were kind of smaller in stature? 
No, I thought they were gigantic. I kind of did too until I read this book. I got to mm-hmm. Google what size is a panda. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, this is going to be like, are there Mayans all over again? Giant panda facts. Oh, see, there's a giant panda, which means there's got to be like a smaller panda, right? Like a teacup panda. Like <laughs> a teacup panda. Could be. Let's see. Around uh, pupils. The largest pandas grow to be about 250 pounds, about that's the weight huge. of a large adult human. But that's the big ones. The average adult male panda grows to be about three feet tall at the shoulder and weighs about 220 pounds. Holy crap, they're three feet tall and 220 pounds? Well, I mean, they walk on four legs, so the weight's kind of distributed more horizontally than vertically. Oh, okay. I guess that's... Uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, Dude, this turned into a whole different podcast. Did you know pandas <laughs> eat about 40 pounds of food each day? That's insane, dude. All right, yeah. but if you, and if you think about it, like, think about how a big dog has to be, like, what, 100 pounds? Yeah, I guess that's true. So, pandas aren't small. Yeah. But All 40 right. pounds of food a day? Good Lord. Yeah. But a lot of it's bamboo, and there's hardly any nutrition in that. <laughs> See, this is perfectly perfect for kids to listen to. Just learned a lot about pandas. <laughs> you guys just learned. I know way more about pandas than I ever would otherwise. Thanks, Garrett Cook. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't know. Listen, there's going to be a lot of times where I just say, I don't know, when it comes to this book. So let's, <laughs> I'll let you take the, the, the next portion of the description of the book, because I have no idea where to go with this. All right, so like it says in the synopsis, kind of the major conflict of the story arises with this um, morality front, uh, which is just a group of people who are against um, like pleasure and sex and you know they're a bunch of prudish people covered top to bottom in latex condoms get it kind Mm -hmm. of a anti-pleasure thing um and they basically are trying to remove like pleasure from the world and they are it turns out run by the uh, the nemesis of all right, and this this brings us to the point where we have to kind of break down the dynamic of of playas, playa is it playa or playa because the plot it's, like I think playa makes a spelled, little more sense okay because it's spelled p l a y a which is also I think a term for like a, a dried up lake like in a desert kind of area oh, if only there's a way. But we're probably thinking it's more like a playa. Like, don't hate the playa. Yeah. Hate the game. Hate the game. Which brings right. us to the game. <clears throat> the game, yeah. So the, there's the, there's essentially the main dynamic of, of Time Pimp's life is that there's playas and that there's haters. So Time Pimp, obviously, for himself and his life, is the playa. And his brother, Death Pimp, is the hater. So every pimp, every playa has a hater which is like their counterpart, um, who hates them, hates on them, and um, tries to bring them down. Right? Right. Um, here's a, a little bit of the basics of the game. Um, that, that You just covered the hater thing. That's They just try to... They, they just hate on the playa. But the playa is, is, is the pimp. He's the one, and, and his whole job is to get paid. I think there are three rules in one of these. It's It's... Never give a hoe the dick unless they're begging for it. Yep. Get paid. Yep. And I don't remember what the other one and was. Get the client 
laid or something. Get oh, the client, yeah. Make the client happy. Go. Yep. There you go. So customer service, <laughs> profit generation, and then that other thing about the hose. Not giving the hose the cock. Yeah. <laughs> unless they're begging unless for they're it. Unless they're begging for it. Yeah. So. So we've effectively defined the game. That's the game. Kind of how I run my life now that I think of it. So I thought you'd have just more <laughs> insight into this book than, than, than I do. So This is really just like an allegory in my life. <laughs> unless they're begging for it. Just... Yeah, unless they're begging for it. Uh, like a bitch. Like a bitch. Can we, all right, so let's talk about like a bitch because <laughs> we've only said it like eight times already. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to spoil my uh, my wrap up a little bit. My favorite part of this book, those three words, like a bitch. <laughs> Which Rob, the statistician for Booked, um, uh, did, a, did a search and apparently it comes up 19 times in the book. Um, they are now words I use in my everyday life. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I found out that I do like a bitch. I didn't really realize before that I was doing <laughs> like a bitch. Anytime I'm disappointed in something that I did, I'm like... Oh man, I just tripped like a bitch. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was. This is where we need that music that goes back to you talking about like crying during episodes of TV shows and stuff. <laughs> like a bitch. Oh, that's right. I cried yeah. like a bitch a lot. Every time I watch the episode, the TV show Castle, I cry like a bitch. Oh, in Hallmark commercials. <laughs> uh, earlier in this episode, and we got edited out. I accidentally unplugged the microphone from my computer. Mm-hmm. Like a bitch. Yep. So, so. Um, so yeah, what, what we do is we spend a lot of time with the time pimp. Um, traveling around, there's a, a mystery that he has to solve early on that uh, takes place at the end of time. Um, another Doctor Who reference, as there have been, uh, I think, more than one episode that have taken place at the end of time. Nice. Um, so he has to solve a mystery... And then he goes on. What's the second story? The second story so, is... There's actually the, the... There's not really chapters in the book. It's broken down into... The opening of the book is Operation Florence, mm-hmm. which um, is um, has to do with... That's where Dante comes in, and, and there's a whole... Thankfully, not about my mom. Right, yeah. <laughs> Especially in a book called Time Pimp. Good yeah. lord. Well, you never know what you're going to run into in fiction, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, that's Dante, and it takes place in in um, historic Florence, Italy. Um, the next the next part is what Livius uh, alluded to: the kind of mystery he has to solve is murder at the time casino. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes on to the Vienna job, where it's this. Um, apparently, it's this. I don't even know what you want to call it, like a caper or like a um, like a heist or some sort of like thing that mm-hmm. um, is legendary and uh, terribly difficult to pull off. The Vienna job. It's like this thing you have to like do to get like this mighty reward and, and um it's supposed to be impossible to do, so there's part of that in the book. And then ooh, should I say what the the title of the last part is? I don't know what the title is, but I'm guessing if you had to ask then probably no. The trial of time pimp. I guess well, that's not too spoilerly. No, no. That's fine. <clears throat> yeah, so and there's an underlying story through all of this. So through through all of these little mini stories, we learn about Time Pimp. We learn about his history. Um, he he kind of has this ongoing thing with his uh, hater pimp brother, um, you know, which ultimately resolves or you know, resolves itself in a character arc, which I didn't think we would see a character <laughs> a character arc in this book. To be really honest, 
I, I, I was a little surprised by that. But yeah, I mean, our character does, does you know, transition throughout the course of this book. I'm kind of culminating in what Rob had talked about, the trial of time pimp. Yeah. Transition, very good word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, unexpected. Didn't really expect a lot of growth from these characters, but there is a part in the book that really has a surprising amount of growth for yeah. for for uh, for time pimp. Um, I just don't know what to say about this book. Yeah. I just, I... Yeah. So because it has kind of um, the four different sections, it's not like a beginning, middle, end kind of three act setup. It's more like a like a series of uh, thematically based like kind of stories. Right, I guess that kind yep. of makes sense, right? Yep. So, like these sub stories, but they're all kind of thematically linked through Time Pimp and the overall um, thing that the conflict that kind of takes place throughout that's common to all the parts of the story. And then, um, you know, obviously we get to see what happens at the end, but that's uh, more or less kind of how the book goes. You got these four different like stories that are threaded together, and Time Pimp is the the common thing that the glue that that keeps them all together and the hose let's not forget the hose plenty of hose plenty of historical characters um edgar Allan poe yeah we i think you mentioned i think all the better ones already yep but uh genghis khan shows up at one point i remember that mm-hmm. yeah that's good stuff i think um Really, a lot of a lot of like the reality of the book is going to be expressed through the quotes. This is a book that you don't understand well until you hear what it sounds like. I I, I would I would have to agree, and I get the feeling that neither of us is going to be able to do these quotes any justice at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we read quotes, it's going to be in our non-playa um, <laughs> voices, or at least I'm I'm not going to try to. Effect a, a pimp voice. I don't know if Livius is is going to or not. I only have one voice, monotone, like a bitch, like a bitch. <laughs> you ready to do some quotes? Should we go in to do some quotes? We may as well. I don't really think you know, the the nature of the story and the fact that like all the major change happens in a way that's like we can't talk about because it it's spoilery. So I think mm-hmm. I think it's quotey time. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and go first. This is from uh, fairly early on in the book. As a matter of fact, 1% into the book. Hmm. Uh, Time Pimp has a cane that Doctor Who um, fans will uh, would would recognize kind of like the sonic screwdriver, although it doesn't have the exact same abilities. But uh, this is uh, from the view of Dante, the uh, the poet. With the cane, he pointed down to his platform shoes. A small octopus was swimming in a pale green liquid in each shoe. Their tiny black eyes were full of wisdom and contentment. The poet had to wonder what it would be like to live in a man's shoes and to sleep and dream there. Although not necessarily indicative of the style of this book, um, I just wanted to... There's goddamn little octopi <laughs> in, in platform shoes that, that are pretty goddamn cool. I could see that becoming a fashion trend. <laughs> That's actually why I was going to start with this one, too, just to give you an overall idea of what Time Pimp looks like. Uh, My first quote, Thing is, Time Pimp was a pimp. A man in a red velvet suit, wearing a flamboyant purple hat, shades, and platform shoes in which psychic octopi floated in absinthe. 
It's good stuff. I think uh, when they described his father, he was like <laughs> counting uh, platform shoes and a and a hat that was four feet tall. His father was like a total of eleven feet tall or something yep. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one kind of for the same purposes, although I love this this second um, portion of this um, a, a little bit described. So his hoes are not just um, regular human women. Uh, I guess I should take a pause. It, time pimp is not actually human. Pimps are are their own species in this book, which I find kind of <laughs> interesting and and kind of a Doctor Who relevance there too, as the Doctor, although he appears to be human, is not. Um, but his hoes are, are of varying um, races and species and stuff. So there's like robot hoes, and then there's like woolly mammoth hoes. And, <laughs> and this one, um, which I'm going to throw in there for, for that reason, but I really love the second part. This is a little longer quote. Uh, Tall woman, her body crafted apparently from red bricks, which contrasted greatly with the black nightgown that clung so tightly to it, entered the room through a door that bore her likeness. She handed Time Pimp a wad of money. He nodded. It's all here. You done good, Jalissa. He smacked her soundly on the ass. Dante felt he must have been an exceptional <laughs> at slapping, for the slap actually made a sound in spite of her brick skin. <laughs> That's the kind of game this player has. He's got game. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick one on time travel and how he handles explaining time travel, which I think is one of the most brilliant parts of the entire book. Time Pimp did not know or care how time travel worked. More or less, nobody did, regardless of how often they did it. Time travel is very complicated. I have to agree with you, and hopefully I'm not stepping on any future quotes, but there's a whole bunch of times where he's like, pimps don't care about science. (laughs) It's just like great (laughs) stuff. So, um, This quote... um, I'm using not as a favorite quote, but to indicate a little bit of some of the like descriptive story stuff that goes on. And I'll, I'll be frank, this this lost me in places where I felt like I just read like two paragraphs and had no idea what just transpired. And this is um, th- this is indicative of that. Um, this is about the impatience, which reminded me immediately of the Doctor Who villains, the silence. Um, and then this is kind of a, a description of the impatience. The impatience, twice the size of a regular lion head, sat upon a giant throne of discarded meat and organs. Two squirming infants were sewn to its oversized feet serving as shoes. The quills of his freakishly large body reached out to spear hearts and livers and kidneys, bringing them up to its mouths. The impatience had three of these mouths, three faces conjoined, one pointing to the left, one to the right, and one straight ahead, each slavering for meat and each sated by a quill bringing speared meat to its leonine jaws each head finished ripping and chewing and tearing a vanquished and lost human heart before the front head addressed its grimly bound captives there are just some parts in there like that that i kind of i don't even say stumbled on it's kind of like i just completely glazed over them mm-hmm. it does get a little weird science fictiony <laughs> kind of in parts yeah it's not all hose sometimes there's some i understood all the stuff about the hose oddly enough <laughs> Livius was much more at home with the hose. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> All right, so this this quote, um, I'm confused enough to not know whether it spoils anything, um, <laughs> but this takes place during that kind of solving the mystery part of the book. Um, and it involves Time Pimp, the panda named Professor Panda, Sylvia Plath, and um, the author Ayn Rand. 
which we got we got yelled at on a previous episode for saying Ayn Rand when her name is pronounced Ayn Rand. So trying to uh, placate the you know picky bitches who uh, point that kind of shit who out. Criticize us like a bitch. Who <laughs> criticize us like a bitch? Um, and uh, so. Time Pimp, uh, it starts out Time Pimp talking to Ayn Rand. Find anything? Miss Plath's clitoris, said Rand, licking her lips. Time Pimp shook his head. Motherfuckers are dead, bitch. This is serious. So is Sylvia's pussy. <laughs> I think, said Sylvia bashfully, that maybe we should be finding the killer. The killer, said Time Pimp, is Professor Panda. Mystery solved. That jive-ass black-and-white turkey has been playing us like a cheap keytar from the beginning. And you know what? I'm going to find him and beat his ass. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't highlight that, because that was one of the best lines in there. Ayn <laughs> Rand, whatever the fuck her name is. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Oh, You know, did you get the impression that Ayn Rand was kind of hot in this book? Yeah, I did. She is nothing hot in real life. Nothing hot about her. <laughs> it's the beauty of fiction. Like you yeah. can make yeah. hot people not. I mean, not pe- not hot people hot. Yeah, mm-hmm. good stuff. Um, Time pimp calls the planet Netzak home, which I was totally in my head pronouncing differently. And then when I said it out loud, when we were trying to figure out how to pronounce, I realized is probably a play on the words Nutsack. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the, and it has a son that is a naked woman. So I need to. That's the setup for this next uh, description. The Netzak sun was dead in the sky, splayed open, and whatever made her luminous had been taken out. The music on the streets was silent. The smell of coconut cigarillos, anal lube, and promise replaced by something that was almost spray paint, but not quite. Just goddamn great. <laughs> that's good stuff. And then these are like there's like these like moments where. <laughs> This is one of the, like, this is how you actually can almost extract, like, you know, some wisdom in parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of get an idea of the characters, too. This is, uh, I want to say roughly halfway through the book. I've been thinking, said Time Pimp, about how failure is for bitches. Yeah, said Sister Cecilia, killing her cognac in one swallow. Bitches and hoes. I am a pimp. And I am a trained and fully licensed leather nun. That's good stuff. Which, by the way, uh, one of the powers of being Time Pimp, at least, is uh, he can take any liquid, and <laughs> the way he explains the alchemy of it is awesome. Like, through uh, a process of um, basically communicating with the, like, the molecules or the atoms or, or something of the actual liquid... He convinces them to make love to each other until it produces cognac. <laughs> He's got the molecules making love, so he he can he can do that level of alchemy to change pretty much any liquid into cognac that people can drink. But he knows nothing about science. I don't even know if I can go on with this. <coughs> the uh, During the investigation, we have Time Pimp um, identifying the killer, maybe. You, said Time Pimp, charging up the pain in his organ cane. You're the killer. 
I couldn't be sure without more evidence, like, say, everybody around us dropping dead. But I know Sherlock Holmes, and you ain't Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock don't get off if Watson don't write it down. And he only gets with white girls because he's a stone-cold racist. (laughs) God damn it. That's good. Another example of the type of passage that is so entertaining that even if you don't like this story or are somewhat offended, you can still find just such entertainment in passages like this one. Um, actually, there's a uh, one of the hoes, a, a, a hoe of, of Time Pimp's father, whose name is, was it Cassin? Mm-hmm. I think so. Cassin? That's what I'm going to go with. Um, the Blue Beast. Cassin the Blue Beast. Um, she she takes part in this this quote where she uh, visits President Theodore Roosevelt. Um, Cassin arrived naked in the Oval Office and got down on her knees on Theodore Roosevelt's desk. The rotund, burly, mustachioed president would have been frightened to see a naked blue woman manifest from nowhere on top of his desk were it not that he was Theodore fucking Roosevelt and knew nothing of fear. He kept a pet badger and he had finished a speech after getting shot. Not much of anything deterred Teddy. Really good stuff. I'm going to throw out two just because the I, w- I was going to skip this one, but the, the, the type of writing that you're talking about there, um, I, I think reflects on this one or is reflected in this particular passage too. Um, not trying to give anything away, but the man famous for passive resistance could give no resistance of any kind since he was dead. So, love that. Um, we were talking about Kassen or Kassen or however. That fucking scene that you just mentioned. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. I know we can't talk about it, but that was just so awful in so many ways. There are some really awful scenes in here. There's there's at least three that jump to mind that are just beyond comprehension awful stuff. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to talk a little bit about Kassen here. <laughs> Cassin's smooth blue skin, large breasts, and constantly bared forehead pussy made her a great temptation to the boy, and he wanted very much to grow up and use her like the hoe she was. So she's blue, um, has an incredible uh, body by, you know, pimp standards, I guess, by man standards, and um, has a vagina on her forehead. Not a vagina, her vagina on her forehead. Which, if you were to have sex with that vagina... You actually like are transported into like some like heavenly place, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because like, you're you're yeah, it's it's her brain because you're well. fucking her mind exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that's good stuff. I got two more. I, I can't believe we just had that conversation on the podcast about a forehead <laughs> vagina and what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. Well, I mean, we're subject to like what a book makes us talk about, so mm-hmm. you know we can always blame it on the author journalistic integrity we can't back down from a topic right that's correct all right on that subject i'm going to read you um something that uh sigmund freud at one point was thinking about in this book this was just for like flat out shock factor that i thought it was a good quote and it's just so insane And, and really this and the quote that i'm going to do next are both just examples of how when you read a story like this um especially bizarro stories where, um, I mean, you have that whole, like, you have to suspend your disbelief. Um, <laughs> you think? 
But like this makes you abandon the idea of disbelief. Like stories like this, you just have to like just kind of check that at the door because like you have to. It's just an anything goes kind of situation. But that makes you um, more not accepting, but like less um, resistant to quotes like this. Where you know, in any other context, you'd be like, "That's awful." But you're in in the context of the book you're reading. It's just like, "Oh, it's another quote in this book." So here's what it is. This is Sigmund Freud. He felt a great deal of pity for anyone who lacked the capacity to coke up and fuck their mother, thinking that they would have to be fundamentally inhuman to miss the merit of such an experience. <laughs> uh, the Vienna job. The Vienna job. Can I do another one, or you got more? Sure. I've got, I've got I think, one more I want to do, but you can go ahead. This final quote that I'm going to give is, again, that whole, like, you have to just kind of abandon disbelief, um, and, and you just become so desensitized to weird shit when you read books like this. Um, I don't even really understand exactly what's happening in this scene, but I thought it was amusing. Chainmailed, helmeted warriors clashing blades and fighting for the future of England were not optimal conditions for shooting a dominatrix off a horse. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that just happens as a necessary part of this story. Um, this is, and we, we kind of alluded to this a little bit, so I don't feel this is a spoiler, and I think it's totally worth it. This is um, Julius Baker, um, the time pimp's father, talking to the time pimp. No, son, said a crying Julius Baker. You play the game like a punk-ass bitch. I gave you the three rules that day, and you done broke them all. I wanted to check yourself, and you went and wrecked yourself. <laughs> I actually had that part and like actually that entire page mm-hmm. um, as a quote. Mm-hmm. Um, later in, during, I just have to mention this: the, the Intergalactic Pimp Council. They they meet, they convene. Where Rob? Hot tub of justice. <laughs> the hot tub of justice. <laughs> just awesome. I'm not a big hot tub guy, but I'd hang out in the hot tub of justice. Can I go? I'm going to go into that paragraph right after the quote you just said. Because uh-huh. he says you, you uh, gave you three rules so you done broke them all. Mm-hmm. So the following paragraph goes a little deeper into that, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, You have failed to collect your money from your hoe, said the other pimp. You failed to get a client satisfaction. You gave a hoe the cock without her begging for it. You caused a time travel paradox like a bitch. <laughs> and it like, just keeps going. <laughs> you caused a time travel paradox like a bitch. Like a bitch. Time pimp, you are literally a jive-ass motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Let's wrap this up. I don't think there's anything else to be said about the time pimp. There's so much that can be said about the time pimp. Yeah. Um, I'll go first. Okay. All right, so we knew... Uh, first of all, we knew it was a release by Eraserhead Press, so we're living in this bizarro realm. Um, I hadn't really read anything by Garrett Cook before, um, so I didn't really know his style. Um, but bizarro being bizarro, you kind of knew a little bit of what to expect. Didn't have the, the Doctor Who frame of reference, so a lot of that was lost on me. But overall, um, it's just it's an entertaining book. Like You basically are reading um, what it, it, it what appears to be a small 
a small, short in length book, which actually ends up feeling a lot longer. I think Livius might talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. It says it's 141 pages, but I don't know if I believe that. Um, I don't know. It's just entertaining. Like the whole time pimp uh, dynamic with him being a pimp, how he interacts with his hose, the fact that he's basically traveling through history to get historic people laid is just like an amusing concept. And the, and the execution of it was hilarious. Um, there's a lot of the book that we can't talk about because it's incredibly spoilery that was unexpected. And that's the character arc uh, and development for time pimp that we, we were uh, alluding to. Um, but uh, I don't know when it boils down to it, it's just, it's, it's an entertaining book that, um, that has some surprise twists in it that I enjoyed. And um, I will say again, um, this is definitely not a book for uh, people who are easily offended, faint of heart, um, not willing to read about uh, sometimes gruesome things, graphic sex, um, possibly sexist or racist <laughs> situations. Possibly. Um, possibly. Um, allegedly racist or sexist mm. situations. Um, because it's all written satirically. It's not taken seriously. But, I mean, if those types of things offend you easily, you may not enjoy the book for the simple entertainment value of it. Um, but, I mean, that really is kind of what Bizarro does, is it takes on um, challenging topics in unconventional ways. Um, overall, I dug the book, and um, I would definitely recommend it to the type of people who are disposed to reading uh, bizarro fiction. So I'm going to go three and a half stars. Yeah, the um, 141 pages that Rob mentioned is the um, <laughs> the uh, approximate Kindle length um, is listed on the Kindle <laughs> page. The paperback um, is listed at 186 pages. Um, and much like Doctor Who's TARDIS, this book is definitely bigger on the inside. I'm not sure what type, what size print there are on those pages, but this definitely was not a 186-page book. Um, yeah, it's it, the the book is goddamn crazy. Here's what I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with this: is um, we, we've read other Bizarro books, and, and although they seemed crazy, this is by far the craziest one because I think it just it's it's there's no topic that's off limits because of the nature of time pimp and his <laughs> travels and his relationships you can kind of cover a, a variety of topics that i think that the other bizarro books that we um that we read were a little more limited by the just sim- simply story-wise by the definition of what the story was so you've got this batshit crazy book uh, about a pimp <laughs> going through time and there's so much that we can't talk about there's there's so many other elements uh, to this book um, that are certainly worth discussion they merit discussion we just can't do it here because some people may actually want to read this book and not have us um, you know just just give them a a full-out description of the whole thing Um, it did in parts and and I'm not I'm not a heavy sci-fi guy I I may be a Doctor Who fan but I don't in in my fiction I'm not a big fan of sci-fi um, there were some parts that lost me for, you know, a page, you know, half a page, page here, page there. One of the descriptions I read to you, I had no goddamn idea what was going on during that portion. <laughs> but it's saving grace is um, the the time pimp, the, the game, uh, just the, the whole concept, as Rob had kind of alluded to, is uh, is goddamn hilarious. And Garrett Cook does a good job 
of kind of delivering a you know a character arc and some some growth in a story where I was pretty sure that none of the characters could grow at all that it was going to be just kind of uh, you know a lot of a lot of dick jokes um, which there are um, you know a lot of a lot of weird sex which there is uh, violence you know and, and then some time travel stuff but all in all just time pimp is a very very endearing character um, laugh out loud funny in parts. Um, even a little sad in some other parts. I found that I actually was 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 felt very sympathetic for the character, especially later on in the book, and, and some of the things that he goes through. Um, but I, I'm with Rob on this. I, I enjoyed it. It's three and a half stars. This is year in book to where we just always do the same rating for every book. Yeah, you know, I think that that part of it too is that um, yeah, I guess talking about it. I, I don't know. I went into this review, and I'm sure you can relate, that there are times we go into a review, and if someone said, hey, what are you giving this book? And you're like, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's the conversation that actually draws out. Sometimes you read a book, and you just know. You just know. You either loved it, or you hated it, or, you know. <laughs> but yeah, again, we talk, and I think that uh, that gets it out there in the open. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's good stuff. Um, it's rare that a book makes me laugh out loud. It doesn't happen very often. But Garrett Cook was able to pull it off. That dude did it. He did it. All right. Um, enough of us talking about books. There's actually um, a new episode up at This Is Horror featuring us um, talking about movies and TV shows a little bit. Yeah, so when we were on talking about the book Danthology, uh, the fine gentleman at This Is Horror. By the way, Michael Wilson, congratulations on your engagement. Michael Wilson yeah, is now I engaged to a lovely young lady. Um I think I honestly think that him having us on the show attracted attracted the women's to him a little bit. Yeah, we're like Spanish fly. Yeah, he's rubbing elbows with the book guys. All of a sudden, <laughs> ladies come come out of the woodwork. So, congratulations, Mister Wilson, on your engagement. But uh, when they asked on, they had asked us if we wanted to stay on and talk a little bit about TV shows and movies uh, for their following episode. So that's what you'll hear. It's probably why we sound all groggy because it was really early in the morning for us. <laughs> We were doing that. I think it was like 10 in the morning or something ridiculous like that. And we had already talked for an hour. At least an hour. So, But definitely you'll want to check that out at This Is Horror. Um, Episode 15 for them. Uh, Rob and I talk about something that's not books. Kind of interesting. Yeah, a little bit rare, but... uh... It, rare but interesting. Um, We talk about uh, TV TV shows that we've been into. And I think movies a little bit as well, right? I don't know. It was like a month ago. I have no recollection of doing this. The sad thing is I listened to it like two days ago and I don't remember. (laughs) I just remember thinking to myself as I'm listening to us, I was thinking to myself, man, like, I don't know if I just didn't prepare for that episode, but like Livius is talking like so much more than I am and he's got all these interesting things and I'm just like, yeah, I watched an episode of Justified. (laughs) And then, and then it's interesting too because like, you can tell, like, it's almost like a watermark. You can tell where uh, our episode <laughs> we recorded around that time is mm-hmm. because Livius is talking about Banshee, the TV show Banshee, on an episode of our podcast. And then, like, that's he talked, it, it gets brought up in, in this episode of This is Horror Rinse. You can kind of, like, kind of time code out where, like, we, we did this, this episode because Banshee was talked about a lot. It's kind of weird. Oh, and so, we talked about Christian Slater a lot. I was talking about Pump Up the Volume and Cuffs and stuff. It was awesome. Love Pump Up the Volume. And I love Banshee. Rob, have you seen Banshee yet? 
No, I might have to. Uh, I might have to check that out. Yeah. Season two off to a slow start, but it's already been renewed for a third season, so I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So um, once again, check out this is horror episode number fifteen. Definitely going to do a little uh, linky link in the uh, post for this episode, so it's easy for you to get to. But I mean, realistically, we've been on so many of those episodes right now. If you're listening to booked, you might as well just subscribe to that podcast. A because it's an awesome podcast. B because we're going to be on it again soon enough. Yeah. I was thinking next year, just because of our appearances, we should nominate them for Podcast of the Year. <laughs> but, but, we don't need any more competition. Speaking of, all right, but speaking of that, I was thinking, um, calling ourselves This Is Horror Podcast of the Year 2013 runner-up is a little bit long, mm-hmm. so we need to cut that down a little bit. Let's just cut off the runner-up part. So if we have to talk about, <laughs> right? I mean, people will still understand. This is genius. <laughs> this is genius. It's like having like that, that bio that's a little too long. We'll just cut out the unimportant parts, like runner-up. So. Yeah, exactly. All right, on to uh, some other news. So, all right, we have spent the better part of three years giving um, James Patterson kind of a hard time. <laughs> so what does this asshole do? He goes and decides to do something uh, very philanthropic. Philanthropic? Philanthropic. Philanthropic. That's it. That's the one I was looking for. It's these goddamn words I never have to say. I just read them on paper. <laughs> like Netzach. L- Livius never says, it does anything philanthropic. No, dude. That's just crazy. Because if I did, I'd have to be like Patterson. Patterson gave or is in the process of giving away a mill, is what I put in the notes, to indie bookstores. He's giving away his book mill? <laughs> That'd be a lot of money. Yeah. No, no. He's giving a small fraction of that $1 million to independent bookstores to um, to spend as they'd like. I mean, he's like, yeah, listen, just write a letter about what you need, and then he probably has somebody else read the letters <laughs> and make a decision, I'm guessing. <laughs> he's probably but got, Yeah. He's got ghost readers. <laughs> just <laughs> Ghost readers. Oh, man, what um, if he got somebody else to put up the money? <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's got these other authors. He's like, listen, you 30 authors whose names I put on books that I co-authored. I'm going to need you each to kick back 15 grand for these bookstores. Um, terrible. But no, that's that's a very awesome thing. And and you and I have been in a bookstore um, that, is, uh, that is going to be a recipient of $7,500 of that money. Hey, not bad. That's uh, Subterranean Books in uh, St. Louis. That is correct. Um, close, close friend to Jed Ayers um, and Scott Phillips, both I believe, as Jed talks about subterranean a lot. Mm-hmm. Exclusive uh, seller of the noir at the bar anthologies. Very true. So there you go. So now subterranean can spend seventy five hundred dollars buying more copies of noir at the bar to sell. All right. Now, I, I, while you were talking about this, I was going to. I did a little math mm-hmm. uh, based on James Patterson's annual salary versus my approximate annual salary. <laughs> Um, in order to be as philanthropic as as James Patterson, um, I'd, I'd have to give about three hundred bucks to bookstores. <clears throat> That's um, uh, yeah. So I'm going to go through. I'm going to go ahead with it. I just I hope I get as much news coverage as he does. Oh yeah, I'm going to talk about it all the time. How are you going to divvy this out? Is it going to be like? Six dollars to fifty bookstores is that? Well, any bookstore that wants a cut of this three hundred bucks can write a letter. <laughs> write us a letter, 
tell us what you're going to do with that like 750 and um if it if it qualifies i will send you a check i will send you a personal check from me for <laughs> skip papersley will be reading these letters as they come in <laughs> cuz rob's way too busy to to, to read them Yes, but I demand the same level of, of media coverage as James Patterson does. Oh, at least, dude. It's a much bigger deal for you to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's more. It's putting me out a lot more than that son of a bitch. Yeah, no kidding. So I found a way um, to even bring down Patterson in his philanthropic efforts. Oh, God, dude. Can I tell you, I was reading some of the comments on uh, on the NPR page where, where I was reading this article kind of as a refresher before the podcast. And, you know, there's people talking about it. There's a guy who says, oh, where I grew up on the south side, southwest side of Chicago, the closest bookstore was at the mall five-plus miles away. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when I was a kid, <coughs> I used to have my dad drive me to the Crown Books, which was probably about six or seven miles away and was the closest bookstore. Until I remembered that time. Sorry, can we <coughs> do that flashback a, music again? I still have when, it. Yeah. When I was about 12, 11, 12, um, I'd started reading a, a men's adventure series I talked about a little bit on, I think it was on the last episode, called The Executioner. So um, I had seen numerous times that there was a bookstore that was only like five blocks away from the house. And it was an adult bookstore. So that means they carry books for adults, right? Like the stuff I was reading, because it certainly wasn't kids' books that I was reading. So I actually opened the door and walked into an adult bookstore <laughs> in the hopes of finding... More of the Mac Bolan Executioner series. And? Uh, they politely asked me to leave. Because they didn't have them, right? Yeah. I, I'd actually asked. The guy was like, no, you can't be in here. And no, we don't have that. So I don't know if that bookstore is still there. If I remember correctly, it was called L'Amour Bookstore. <laughs> and if they're getting any of this Patterson money. But I'm pretty sure that that was a, a small, independently owned bookstore. Wow, little yeah. young young live is adorable. Yep, that yep. is like the walked most into an adult story. bookstore looking for you know books that adults read. Oh man, yeah, I had a whole different idea of what adults read after walking into that store. <laughs> not yeah, not more. Well, time, they probably carry Time Pimp in that. If Patterson gives them the money, they might be able to afford Time Pimp. <laughs> they might. Oh yeah. Tying it all together, I remember, we're getting some mileage out of that flashback music. That's oh, all I'm gonna say. Yeah, did you did yeah. you listen to it in the previous episode? I did. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, we don't use it nearly enough. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> so you know, because I Google stuff we talked about or talk about on the show, and I Googled Lamore's Adult Bookstore, and lo and behold, there's a Yelp review for it from 2006. <laughs> I only read the first line of this, but I think I might have changed. Um, how they do business. And here's why. Here is uh, Jacob J. from Chicago, Illinois, who looks to be a large, bald African-American man in his picture, um, gave it two stars and said, fucking terrible adult bookstore. You have to pay cover to browse. See? So there you go. That's how they keep the kids out. I didn't have any money to pay a cover to browse. I think it's refunded if you purchase something. Terrible selection of movies, mostly overpriced. It never used to be so terrible. It's really the fault of the internet. Since porn is everywhere and free, who the hell wants to buy VHS or DVD porn? People just burn it off the net or buy ripped copies. Uh, nothing else worth there is. But there is. There is. It's a, 
Oh, oh yeah. If it's late, don't ever park in the McDonald's parking lot. You will get towed. And it costs about 150 bucks plus tow. <laughs> this is part of his Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy is just like... <laughs> he's like the most, like, he's like the most helpful, like, porn guy ever. Oh my god. That's wow. hilarious. Um... Oh, that's good stuff. What's the where? Where is it located? Oh, it is located at thirty nine hundred one West Lawrence Avenue in Chicago. It's a it's across the street, basically across the street from the Admiral Theater. Ooh. Assuming that's still there, the Admiral Theater definitely is there. I've driven past there several oh. times recently. Admiral Theater, for anybody who's not from Chicago, is a a strip club, um, on Chicago's like kind of north, the northwest kind of part of the, the city, um. That uh, is quite famous, I think. Um, right? It is. I, I do believe so. Hold on, Rob. There's a link. They have a website. Not the Admiral, but we just put that in our notes. <laughs> Lamore Books the, does or whatever? Yeah. Isn't yep. that that um, West, the guy that wrote Westerns, Louis Lamore? Is that? It is. Yep. So maybe they just carry a lot of Westerns. <laughs> that could be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of Western, aren't you headed out West here shortly? Yeah, um, my uh, my my flight. I, I realized halfway. I was working. I worked today, um, the day that we're recording this, and I realized that um, halfway through my day. Oh no, I can check in for my flight in like an hour. So um, in the middle of right before I had to go train someone on something, I uh, checked in for my flight. So as of three twenty p.m., if everything goes well, starting tomorrow, I will be in the air headed towards Seattle for. About a week and a half. Very nice. And what will you be doing while you're there? Um, representing our podcast at the AWP conference. More hanging out with people than actually doing anything conference related, although Booked is hosting, co-hosting um, a, uh, a party Thursday night if for anybody who's going to be in the area. Um, I don't, it's the Sorrento Hotel Bar, uh, in, in Seattle from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., um, booked in, in conjunction, coordination, collaboration, one of those Asian words, with, uh, Lit Reactor and Writerly hosting a little party, just a little get together for people to have drinks and talk and, uh, and meet up, uh, that Thursday night. So definitely join us out there if you're going to be in the area. Very cool. If you need any copies of the book anthology signed, I have authorized Rob to sign my signature to them. That's right. Yep. So, I'm going to sign it L-I-B-I-U-S. That's right. Like L-I-B-I-U-S. a bitch. Like a bitch. Um, <laughs> and then Rob will come back. So the next episode will be a little bit delayed to give Rob time to get back home from um, from, from his trip. Uh, we will be reviewing a book next uh, next time probably be nine ten days from now before that episode goes up but rob this month this coming month march starts a little bit of a countdown for us kind of a big kind of a big deal right yep three years in the making three years so um our anniversary or well our kickoff date um our launch date for the podcast officially was april 1st 2011 um, so we're creeping up on three years from that date, which is pretty crazy. But the even more insane thing is is the uh, the milestone that that's going to coincide with that date. 
Yeah, so we've been doing what, like 75, 80 episodes a year? Right now? 75? Is that what it works out to? Anyway. Something like that. I think it averages out to about five episodes a month. Dude, we're going to be at episode 200 probably on our three year anniversary date. That's nuts. That is absolutely insane that we will have done this 200 times. That means, yeah, we've said welcome to Booked 200 times. We've oh, opened. it's probably like 270 times with all the false starts and stuff. <laughs> Thousands <laughs> of times, probably, yeah. yeah. We don't, yeah, but no one gets to hear that. Yeah, but I'm really excited. I mean, that's that's huge, man. Three years, 200 episodes. Um, we're kind of making our way towards it. Um, I'm pretty sure that episode is just going to be a, a, a week off from reading for us. I think it's going to be a lot of us just talking shit about the last three years. But uh, we did decide, because it, in the past we have received um, birthday wishes, both via email and and via the booked hotline, which we've kind of let fall out of service. I mean, it's still there. We just never mention it. <laughs> so Kind of like that Lamore bookstore. Yeah, yeah, kind of those things like, oh, yeah, and remember that time we got that phone call from Anonymous 9? There you go. Booked hotline. <laughs> remember um, all those phone calls from Sean P. Ferguson? Yes, yes, yes. And Axel Tyari. That's right. Yeah, so um, if you want to give Booked a, a call, uh, you could do this and, and wish us a happy anniversary. Um, you can call just for the sake of calling. You can call in the middle of the night when you're drunk. Just remember that if you call, there's a chance that it will be played on our uh, on our <laughs> on our podcast. Yeah. Uh, here's the phone number: seven seven three five nine nine one zero five seven. On your phone, that spells book podcast. <laughs> it does, but um, type in the numbers. Don't try and spell out the words. It's a, it's a weird, tricky telephone thing. It works one way, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Seven seven three five nine nine ten fifty seven. 1057 Leave us a message. Leaving a message is uh, basically allowing, giving, uh, giving us permission to play whatever you say on an episode of the podcast. Um, can we start? Uh, can we start playing the Walgreens that keeps calling that number for somebody's medication? <laughs> Didn't we do that once? I thought we played it. On I don't one know if we did, but man, I gotta tell you, somebody's pretty mad about not getting their scripts because there was another call like last week to that number. I go, oh look at this, this is interesting. Go, Hi, this is the Walgreens calling. Your, Your prescription's, prescription's ready to pick up. Yeah, there's some sickly person out there not getting their meds because we took their phone number or something. All right, so yeah, give us a call. Um, if you're in Seattle in the next week and a half, starting on the 24th of February and going through about March 1st, I think. Um, yeah, we're, I'll be there. There's going to be plenty of people from the uh, the Velvet Warmed About, the, the, the Booked Anthology. There's like lots of authors from that. So the usual crew for when we travel is going to be there. So hit us up and we'll, uh, we'll meet up and hang out. Very cool. Um, until then... Until next time, I'm Livia Stedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Like a bitch. (laughs) God damn it.
for using Walgreens Pharmacy. Located at Southwest Corner of Clark and Ashland and Catalpa in Chicago, your prescription is ready to be picked up at the Walgreens Pharmacy. Located at Southwest Corner of Clark and Ashland and Catalpa in Chicago, again, thank you for using Walgreens Pharmacy. This message will be repeated.